Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. We're entering our final message of the Led by Fire sermon series. And so this is message 16 today. So if you've got your Bible, you want to grab it. We're going to Exodus chapter 33. Well, uh, Becky and I, for those who don't know, my wife Becky and I have four kids. And um, part of the joy of parenting, part of the adventure of parenting is getting into these um, existential, philosophical conversations with your small children. And so every once in a while, you know, isn't it like a child to, to throw a question at you that you totally weren't ready for, didn't expect, and just at different times, that's what happens. And so not too long ago, it was bedtime, which is always when the philosophical questions pop up, and it was bedtime. Becky's reading a bedtime story to our baby girl, Henley, who's number three out of four. And um, Henley just looks up at her in the middle of the story and um, says, Mommy, how do you know God is real? Great question. And so Becky, and this is a moment. That's a moment, right? She's just like, don't, okay. Uh, and so Becky looks down at her and, and says, you know, well, baby, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, like you look at creation and you know there's a creator and, and God speaks to our hearts and uh, you, sense, you sense him speaking to you and we, we, know, we know God uh, is real through his word and, and, and so she's going on about this and all of a sudden Henley looks up to her and she says, I know, I know how I know God is real because sometimes I have a toy that doesn't work and I ask God for it to work and then it works so I know he's real. Uh, it's like... <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, you know? There you go. Uh, so, you know, these existential, you know, questions that, you know, as parents we're trying to answer, kids are asking, and the reason is, is it's part of the way that we were made. We were made to want the answer to the questions of the meaning of life. We were made to probe the depths of why are we here? And so there are a lot of uh, answers that get posited, a lot of opinions out there about what's life all about? What is this life all about? And so one of the most popular answers to that question is, well, life is about happiness. You know, like if, you know, you just be as happy, find the things that make you happy, do those things. And, you know, like that's, that's life. That's the, that's the meaning of life. You've plumbed the depths of, of all there is to this life if you've done that. Or some people say, well, it's the total of, of what you do. What you do in this life and what you do with the days you have, add that up and, and that's the meaning. You give your life meaning through what you do. Or then there's answers like the astrophysicist Jamie Matthews from the University of British Columbia who says, every time you look at the stars and wonder what they are, how they got there, you give the universe meaning and add to your own meaning. Now, I'd say this about Dr. Matthews. She's partly there in the sense that the heavens declare the glory of God. But there's a lot missing from that answer. So maybe I would turn it to you. At wherever you're sitting in this room, wherever you're watching online, whatever campus you're at, I would turn it to you and say, what do you think the meaning of life is? What gives your life meaning? What's life all about for you? Have you ever wondered that? 
Have you ever wondered why am I here? Have you ever wondered what's the point of all of this? Like, what's the point of, of day in, day out, life? What's the point of breath in my lungs? What, why was I put on this planet? Why am I here? And here's why it's so important that you answer that question correctly, that I answer that question correctly. Because when you don't know what life is about, you'll miss out on what life is about. If you don't know what life is about, you'll miss out on what life is about. Actually, I'll take it a step further. When you don't know what life is about, you end up wasting your life. And God didn't put you on this planet just to live some days and then it come to an end. He put you on this planet on purpose for a purpose. He did. Your life is not a waste. You are not an accident. You're not here by random chance or, or circumstance or happenstance. That's not why you're here. Creator God put you on this planet. So what is life all about? It's a really important question. That's why I'm thankful that in this final installment of our Led by Fire series, we are coming to a passage of scripture that many scholars say is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. Because in this passage, we get a ear into a conversation between Moses and God about what life is all about. And life, what we're going to discover, is about namely, and I'm going to unpack this, it's namely about the glory of God and our interaction with God's glory. And so today, just to kind of give you a sense of where we're headed, we're going to look at the need for glory, we're going to look at the definition of God's glory, and then finally we're going to look at the effect of God's glory. First, I want us to look at the need for God's glory, our need, your need for God's glory. And I'll start at the beginning of Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. So they're at the base of Mount Sinai and he says, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. So if you're not up to date with what's happening in the life of Israel, you're probably reading this going, what's this all about? Um, so God says, you go up to the promised land. I'll even send an angel. You're going to wipe out your enemies. You'll take possession of it, but I'm not going to be in your midst. In fact, if I go with you, you're not going to make it there. It reminds me of a parent, and this is like in a much larger sense, but maybe you grew up with a mom or dad who said, like, I brought you into this life. I can take you out. God is saying to the children of Israel, you're not going to make it to the promised land because I'm going to be done with you long before we get there. 
Why is God saying that? If you went back one chapter, what you'd find out is that in Exodus 32, they have been waiting. The people of Israel have been waiting for Moses. What Moses has done is Moses has gone up onto Mount Sinai to meet with God. And he's been up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This same Moses who has led them out of Egypt, this same Moses who led them on dry ground through the Red Sea, has led them to Mount Sinai. He's gone up on the mountain and he hasn't come back down and the days just keep clicking up and while he's on the mountain, what's happening? The mountain is on fire. There's thunder and lightning, and God has said, don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die because my presence has descended. My glory has descended on the mountain. And the people are waiting, and they know there's no food on the mountain. They know there's no water on the mountain. And so what do they think has happened to Moses? Moses is dead. Because they're looking at that mountain, they're saying, nobody could survive that, let alone go without food and water for as long as he's gone without them. And so they look at Aaron and they say, we're done with the God that we can't see. Give us a God to lead us. And Aaron, Moses' brother, trying to figure out what to do, says, well, give me all your jewelry and I'm going to take all your jewelry and I'm going to melt it down and we're going we're to create a God. Sounds like a really bad plan. We're going to create a God, and he, he, they mold this calf, and then he puts it up before the people, and he says, behold, the God who led you out of Egypt. And some of you are like, that is not good. Um, it, Moses comes down from the mountain as they are worshiping this false idol. What was the first commandment God gave them? You shall not have any other gods before me. And he comes down the mountain. They can't even make it 40 days. He comes down the mountain carrying the tablets that God has written on with his very finger. And Moses throws them down. That's the whole setup for what God says here. You're not going to make it to the promised land if I go with you. You're a stiff-necked people. You're a stiff-necked people. And out of that, Moses goes, and we read in the middle of Exodus 33, he spends time at the tent of meeting, but then he comes back and he responds to what God has said. And look at this, later in, in Exodus 33, the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't go personally with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? Your for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. God says to Moses, you know what? Here's what I'll do, Moses. I'll give you all, my, I'll give you all the stuff. How about I do this? How about I give you, I'll give you victory over your enemies. I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll give you success in that land. I'll even send an angel to go before you. You'll have a supernatural angelic presence to go before you into the land. And you know what? Honestly, to put it bluntly, that sounds like a dream religion to a lot of people. All the gifts, not the giver. And Moses in that moment recognizes that's not life. 
He says, no, no, no. If you don't go with us, don't send us. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. If you don't go, if your presence doesn't go, if your glory doesn't go, then all of your gifts don't equal a hill of beans to us. Because your gifts without you is not life. Here's the thing that Moses understands. What he understands is that possessions don't equal meaning. What he understands is that this newly formed country and all that they can do collaboratively as the people of Israel, apart from God, that doesn't equal meaning. That a land flowing with milk and honey and, you know what, provision and wealth, that doesn't equal meaning. Even some sort of angelic presence to go before you. That's not what life is about. God, what life is about, Moses is saying, is not about your gifts, it's about you. And so if we don't have you, we don't have anything. It's a powerful thought. God, we need your glory. We need your presence among us because if we don't have that, we can't take one step. Can I just ask you, is that the way you live life? Is the way that you live life, God, if you're not going there, I can't go there. God, if, if, you're, not, if you're not with me, if you're not in that relationship, I can't do it. I, I, I will not do it. If you're not in the center of this, if you're not in that, if you're not in that career move, I'm not going to do it because I will not stray from where you are. Why would you say that? You would say that if you knew that life wasn't about a 401k and the meaning of life was not about a relationship and the meaning of life was not about a career path and the meaning of life was not about money and the meaning of life was not about that spouse. The meaning of life is about God right in the center. Now without him and without his presence and without his glory, it doesn't matter how successful you are and it doesn't matter the relationships you have. If you don't have him, you don't have what it's all about. Moses understands that there is an intrinsic need in the heart of every human being. There is this nagging, gnawing question in your heart this morning. It's in there. That I want my life to matter. I want to, for the days that I spend on this planet, I, I, I want them to matter. And Moses says the only way for the life of the nation of Israel, the only way for the life of the people of Israel to matter is if God is right in the center. If his glory dwells in our midst. This is why Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, the prophet Jeremiah says in verse 23, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories in this, or let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For these I delight, says the Lord. Life is about knowing him. Life is about understanding him. Life is about a growing relationship and intimacy with the living God. Because if he's in the center of your life, guess what? Everything else will take care of itself. He's in the center. This is the need for God's glory in the life of every single person. But Moses doesn't stop there in his conversation with God. 
because we can know we need God's glory in our life, but let's give some definition to that. When we talk about God's glory, what are we talking about? What are we referring to when we say glory to God? Or we bring God, we give you glory. What are we talking about? What is the glory of God? And so we move from the need for God's glory to the definition of God's glory. And I want you to see this, Exodus chapter 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. So Moses, you've asked me to go with you. I will go with you. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So God, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And when he says, show me your glory, what does God say he's going to show him? God, I just want, I want your glory. You know, when we talk about the glory of God, let's just stop right here. When we talk about God's glory descending on a place, or we talk about being in God's presence, we're not just talking about like some sort of electrical shock. Like I was in there and the glory fell. You know, like that's a, that can be a very true statement, but what does that statement mean? And we're not just talking about a sensation. We're not just talking about a feeling. The glory of God descending, the glory of God at work, you experiencing the glory of God is, yeah, you feel it, but it's not just a feeling. Oh, yeah, you sense it, but it's not just a sensation. That when the glory of God descends, what is always accompanied with the feeling is content. It's communication. So God says to Moses... I will make my goodness pass by you. God says, if you, you're, you're asking for me for, to see my glory, guess what's going to pass by you? The unfolding of my goodness. Because my glory is my goodness. Goodness is evidence of my glory. What does the Bible say? God is good and God does good. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Here's what happens when you encounter the glory of God, when you experience his presence. Maybe you've been in a service like this. Maybe you've been, oh, you know, you got up early in the morning, you were reading your Bible. Maybe you were driving to work and you were belting out, you know, the blessing in your car. You're like, you just didn't care. And you were, you were singing praise to God, you were in God's word, and all of a sudden, in that moment, you sensed God's presence, and not just his presence, you sensed him speaking to you. You know, it's interesting, when God's presence descends, when we encounter his glory, he is intent, not just on us leaving with a feeling, He's intent on us leaving with a greater understanding of who he is, a greater revelation of his goodness, a greater revelation of his love for us, a greater revelation of his grace, a greater revelation of his mercy. God doesn't just want you to feel him. He wants you to know him. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim my name to you. Then you skip down in Exodus 34 and watch this happen. And look what happens. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. So where does God start in passing and allowing the glory, his glory to pass before Moses? Where does he start? He, he proclaims certain things about himself and he says, I'm merciful, Moses. You know what? I, I, I don't give people what they deserve. That I overlook transgression. No, Moses, I'm gracious. I do give people what they don't deserve. That's who I am. I'm slow to anger, Moses. I'm abounding in steadfast love. You want the evidence of the glory of God? When God passes by, what he does is he gives you this unfold, this greater sense of how his, his majesty revealed in his saving work, that God saved you, that God showed you his goodness, that God showed you his grace. It's an amazing thing. You know what, often I think the reality is, is we get used to the fact that God saved us. We get used to it. Which says more about us than what God did. We get used to it. But Moses says, show me your glory, and God says, let me tell you who I am. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. What he's saying is, I'm good and I'm just, which makes his goodness all the more amazing because he fulfills his justice. He pays the bill. He pays the bill. Who paid the bill for your sin? You or Jesus? Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. But God forgave you. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. The definition of God's glory is God's goodness. And here's why this, this answers something for us. That when you get to the end of the Bible and you get this picture of heaven, that John the Apostle, he describes what he sees in heaven happening, that is currently happening. As in today, while we're listening to this message, while we're thinking about this passage, this is what's happening in heaven. Revelation chapter five. Then I looked again and heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. So this is the roar of heaven this morning. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered. Guess what? They have not moved past Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in your place for your sin. They have not moved past for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. The angels can't get over it. They're continually astounded that this creator God could so love a broken, lost humanity that he would spare no expense. The lamb was slaughtered. And he's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forevermore and ever. Here's the thing. 
Heaven never gets tired of looking into the riches of God's grace. Heaven is constantly being shown. The angels are constantly seeing and savoring with new delight what God did for you and for me, that God sent his only son when you were lost, when you were in darkness, he opened up your eyes and he exchanged your unrighteousness for the righteousness of Christ. Heaven goes, are you kidding me? God did that. And here's the thing about eternity. You and I for all of eternity will constantly be marveling at what God did for us. We'll be marveling at it. It'll astound us. It will never stop amazing us. The definition of God's glory is what he has done for us in Christ. He wants to show you his glory. He wants to unfold his glory to you. There's moments where God's glory passed by, and so there may be some in the room and some watching online or some watching at the campuses, and you're thinking, well, I know God's glory passed by Moses, and I, and I know God you know, wants to show himself to people. I just, I'm not sure he wants to do that for me. I, I'm not, I just don't know if, if that's for me or available to me. Here's what I would tell you. God's no respecter of persons. But we have to do what Moses did. If we want to see God's glory, if we want to experience God's glory, if we want the definition of God's glory, not just to be clinical, but to be experiential, where he, he unfolds the grandeur of his mercy to us. We want him to do that. If we want to know more, what does Moses do? He asks, he says, show me your glory. But he doesn't just ask he also positions himself for God's glory to pass by him. What do you see in verse 21? Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. Here's what I would say to you. In 2021, there is a place. There are places and spaces in the year ahead where God's glory is going to pass by. But what you and I have to say is, when it passes by, I'm going to be in the place. I'm going to position myself to experience God's glory. I'm going to position myself to be in his presence because I want to know him more, because I want my eyes opened to a greater degree to who he is, because I want to draw close to him. I don't want to be on the periphery of what God's doing in this church. I don't want to be on the periphery of what God's doing on the planet. I want to be right in the center of it. I want to be there when God's glory passes by. I want to be there. And Moses would tell you, hey, there is a place. There's a place for that. There's a place for you to position yourself. This is the importance of the prayer meeting to say, I'm going to position myself because I believe God's glory is going to pass by. I'm going to position myself in the house of God because I believe God's glory is going to pass by. It's not just going to be happenstance that I catch it on a good day. I'm going to position myself. I'm going to be intentional. It's not going to be accidental for me. It's not going to be accidental. My experience of God's glory. Too many of us are content for our experience of God's glory to be accidental. How about in 2021 we say, I'm going to get intentional because I don't ever want to miss a moment where the glory of the creator God passes by. This is the need for God's glory that we looked at. The definition of God's glory is his goodness. But finally, I want you to see this. The effect of God's glory. 
the effect of God's glory. See it when you move into deeper into chapter 34. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone, is radiating, because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with him. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him. What? That the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai, and when Moses had finished speaking, with him, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. There, it's, you know, I would just, I would say to every person in this place, every person watching online, every person across the campuses, it's not just about knowing about it. It's not just about being able to define it. God wants you to be personally affected by an experience of his glory. He doesn't want any of us wondering, I wonder what that would be like. Oh, he wants to show you. Because in showing you his glory, it's going to transform you. It's going to transform you in some very particular ways. The first thing I want you to notice in just what happens to Moses, the effect of experiencing the glory of God, of God's glory passing by him, is that he's shining, he's, he's reflecting God's glory. He's become a reflector of God's glory. People can see the glory of God on him. Let me just tell you this, that for us, people need to see the glory of God on you. Here's the thing, you're going out into darkness, they need to see light. You're going into a broken world. They need to see a God who can make them whole. Your kids need to see the glory of God on your life. They need to see it, parents, on your marriage. This is why I think that the, the marriage retreat coming up is so important because I want my marriage with Becky to reflect the glory of God to our children. And I don't want it to be accidental. I want it to be intentional. But if we're going to reflect the glory of God, if your life is going to reflect the glory of God, how is it going to do that? How is it going to reflect the glory of God? Well, if we just go back just a few moments ago, what did we say God's glory is? When God passes by Moses, he proclaims his goodness, right? He says, I will show you my goodness. And then he starts saying, I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm filled with loving kindness. In other words, don't miss this. 
If you are going to reflect the glory of God to the world around you, you're going to reflect God's goodness. You're going to reflect his mercy. You're going to reflect his grace. You're going to reflect his loving kindness. And guess what? It can't be natural because it's not natural. It's got to be supernatural. It's got to be supernatural. There's got to be. Here's the thing. You can't do what you don't know. And how do you get a greater understanding, a greater experience of God's glory? Oh, well, you position yourself for his glory to pass by. So if you're going to show the world a supernatural goodness, if you're going to show the world the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, if you're going to show them a God who is forgiving, a God who never ceases to be good, if you're going to show that through the way that you live life and treat people, guess what? You're going to have to get in God's presence just like Moses did. If you want to reflect the glory of God that the world so desperately needs, then you've got to be in proximity to the glory of God. And then you go out from meeting with God, being in God's presence, you go out from that into a world and all of a sudden they say, oh my goodness, I, I've never seen that. Oh my goodness, I want that. Oh my God, I, I want what they have in their life. Yeah, why? Because you're reflecting something that's not natural, it's supernatural. Supernatural. Not only that, but it changes you. Being in God's presence changes you. Moses doesn't just look different from spending that time with God. He is different. He's a different person. He's a different leader. He has a different relationship with God. He's different. Here's the thing. God wants to take us from glory to glory. God's not content for you to stay where you're at in your Christian life. You haven't reached the summit, which is really good news. There are greater heights. There are greater, under, there's greater understanding available to you. There's greater intimacy with God available to you. There is more. And being in God's glory changes you. It positions you. It enables you to drink deeply, more deeply than ever before of all that is available to you in Christ. You know, and honestly, it's that change. It's that change from experiencing God's glory. That's where relationship with God begins, right? That there was a time for any one of us who is a Christian in this room across the campuses, if you're watching all you say, I'm a Christian, there was a time, there was a time where you encountered the glory of God. You responded to the glory of God. You responded to God speaking to your heart. And out of that, God made you a new person. He made you a new person. He changed, you encountered his glory and you've never been the same. And can I just be quite honest with you? Today, if you've come into any campus, you're watching online across this room, guess what? Today, you've come into this place and you sense God's presence, you sense something different in here, that's God revealing himself to you. He's saying, I'm good, I'm merciful, I'm kind. 
He's saying, you know what? The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that says, God, I want to trust you with my life. You can handle my sin. You can handle my baggage. You can handle my failures and my faults. I want to trust you. And God opens up his goodness and it floods your life. And you look back on that moment and say, wow, I experienced God's glory. I've never been the same. And here's the amazing thing. He continues to, as you walk with him, he continues to show you his glory. It's not just once it happened, it happens again and again and again as he continually reveals himself to you. But it starts an experience of God's glory, walking in the power of God's presence. All of that starts with any person making a decision to put, just like Moses said, I'm not going if you don't go. There's got to be that initial decision in any person's life where they say, God, I only want to go. I, I don't want to do life alone. I want to do life without you anymore. I don't want to do life on my own anymore. I want to do life with you at the center. There are some watching right now, and you've never made the decision to say, God, I want to do life with you at the center. And can I tell you, until you do that, you'll never experience what life is all about. But when you do that, all of a sudden, God infuses your life with meaning that you never knew was possible.